This podcast is brought to you by Close Brothers Asset Management. We've created this podcast to set out possible approaches. Please do not view it as financial advice or its content as investment recommendations. Just because an investment or investment strategy has performed well in the past does not mean it will continue to do so. Our predictions are based on information that is currently available. However, events and markets can and do change rapidly. Hello and welcome to our monthly podcast. I'm Tom Santralaya and I'm joined today by Robert Ulster and Isabel Albaran. Hello. Hi. Hi, welcome to you both. Uh, now, there's always plenty going on in markets and the broader economy, and of course, that's what uh, makes the job so interesting. Uh, but speaking with clients lately, the same topic keeps popping up time and time again, and that's interest rates. So uh, I think we'll start there before we dive into the US debt ceiling a little later. Um Isabel, let's start with the UK because that's probably the most uh, pertinent for our client base. Mm. What did the Bank of England recently announce? Yeah, so at the May meeting, we had another interest rate rise, so 25 basis points, and that was expected. But what I think was of more interest was we got an update to the economic forecasts. So if you think back um, in February, we had still some quite gloomy economic forecasts, so minus 0.5% expected for 2023, whereas now the forecast is plus 0.25. So that's certainly an improvement. Mm -hmm. And then the other area that was really interesting was we got some really big changes to the um, employment forecasts. Okay. So previously, Bank had expected quite a big increase in unemployment um, this year and next year, whereas now actually they're expecting unemployment to remain really quite low through to 2026. And that's kind of mostly because, well, obviously, you know, we've just spoken about this improvement in the um, outlook for growth, but also they're assuming because it's been so hard to hire people, employers will hold on to those workers, even if, as we see a bit of a slowdown in growth. Okay, and this has been the, the 12th consecutive rate rise now. So, Robert, do you think we're nearly there? Are we at peak rates yet? Yeah, no, I think we are very nearly there. I think um, the crucial element is what's going to happen to inflation. And we believe that inflation is going to start falling, you know, by, you know, quite a large amount from here on, given the anniversary effects. And as a result, interest rates are likely to follow that path down. Um, and on that basis, we must be close to peak. Isabel, you, you're on the same page as there? Broadly, yes. Um, you know, Robert's certainly right. We're expecting a really big fall in the April um, inflation print, and inflation is certainly headed lower. I think the sort of area of continued concern is around the UK labour market. So, you know, I mentioned that they're expecting the labour market to be much tighter. Um, in addition to that, I think there is a concern about does wage growth remain stronger for longer? Partly because, you know, people have really suffered from high inflation eroding their income. Do they try and uh, secure wage growth um, for a little bit longer to try and mitigate that impact? So that labour market's going to be the key thing that we're looking at, both in the UK and the US then? Yes, um, very much so. Yes. Okay. And in the US, how, how close are we feeling to... Well, I mean, they're in a very different position from an inflation standpoint. Are they close to peak rates? Yeah, I, I mean, the US is this first in, first out in terms mm. of the cycle. So they are ahead of us, and which is why the whole of the financial community watches what happens 
in the US. And the Fed has said, you know, they're going to keep rates high until we see actual material evidence of a slowdown in the labor market. And we're not quite at that point, but I'm still judging that we're close to peak. But as Isabel said, it also depends there what's going to happen to wage growth, to, to jobless claims as well. You know, we're all becoming very data dependent here. And I think the additional thing in the US is obviously, you know, we've had this little banking crisis that's leading to exactly. tighter credit conditions. Yeah. So kind of actually compared to where we were before, the, the Fed don't need to do as much because that tightening will do some of their work for them. And if the Fed's going to start taking their foot off the uh, pedal, so to speak, do you think we might just see that sort of lesser spotted soft landing? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think um, structurally it's it's a different sort of slow down stroke recession of the past, partly because of QE, partly because of the labour effects as well. So I think, yeah, there is quite a good chance of a soft landing. And then that has implications for markets. Of course. Well, heartening to hear. Well, let's stick with the US, but uh, move on to the other uh, topic of the day, which, of course, is the uh, US debt ceiling. Isabel, let's start with you. What is it? <laughs> okay. That's the big question, good isn't it? question. Yes. Okay. So it's basically a law. Its official name is the Second Liberty Bond Act. And it's effectively just a limit on how much the US government is allowed to borrow. Um, it's very old. It started off um, as a sort of way of trying to make government fiscally responsible. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I think now really its main function seems to be to cause a lot of panic in the markets, <laughs> intermittently. So why is it important, Robert? Um, it's important because it will have an effect on markets if there is no resolution to the debt ceiling, in which case um, government has to start closing down. But I have to say, um, I'm quite a bit jaded about all this. This must be the fourth or fifth time I've lived through this sort of sequence of events where we all get into a panic about debt ceiling, government shutting down. And then at the 11th hour, there's a miraculously an agreement um, and we all move on to the sort of the next crisis. Having said that, there is often cutbacks to big programs. So it has a meaningful effect to investments. Yeah. It's actually the 89th time the US oh, Treasury has bumped up against the uh, the debt ceiling. But no surprise, 89 times a resolution's been found. But markets still, they're going to be bouncing around over the next few weeks or so. What, why is that? What, what's the concern then? Yeah, so I mean, so the limit at the moment, I believe, is 31.4 trillion of borrowing. Once you get there, you you can't spend any more. So you've got to start sort of looking at your budget. And I think, you know, if we think about this in more sort of household terms, well, you've got to sort of prioritize. So, you know, for me personally, my biggest priority would be my mortgage. You know, you want to hold on to your house and um, it would be a shame to sort of have your credit rating wrecked. <laughs> so the treasury in the same situation, you've got to prioritize your least understanding creditor. And in this instance, that is going to be your bondholders as part of the covenant, you have to meet your interest payments. So that's the, the, the first step. As Robert alluded to, the second step is you've got to look at your non-essential spending. So there's an official sort of rule about how you cut that non-essential spending. That's called sequestration. Um, and that can see um, things like parks uh, having their funding sort of temporarily cut until a resolution is found. So in 2013, we had a 16-day um sequestration period. And that's the withholding of of wages and and social security payments and so on, as well as parks being closed. Yeah. 
And Robert, how, how do you uh, do you see this as similar to any other previous debt negotiations? Well, in the past, in the past, um, there were actual effects on companies which we invested in. Um, so back in the past, defence spending was cut. Certain very high-profile programmes of, sort of more speculative kind. Um, also, the roads programme, the national roads programme, was delayed. So you do have to be aware of the volatility. Now they can present buying opportunities actually in those companies, but you know there is there can be quite a lot of volatility around the time of the the debt ceiling and expiry. I think a broader um, implication is that you know because they have to agree on spending on a bipartisan basis, well the Inflation Reduction Act could have some meaningful changes to the structure of it and the amount of spending we see. So that's likely to be the thing in the crosshairs around the, no the negotiating table, is it? Yes. And so what are the implications from a portfolio level? I, I assume that we're probably going to see some volatility, but we're not making wholesale changes? Yeah, I think that's right. I think the volatility can actually present us with opportunities. And you could see um, some economic effects. I mean, if we go in for, say, a calendar month of a US government shutdown, I've seen estimates saying that takes off 0.8% of GDP and adds some 700,000 to the jobless um, count. So there will be, you know, volatility both in the bond market and in some equities as well. So plenty to keep the investment team on their toes then? Well, yes, but, and, but opportunities as well. Yeah, absolutely. So and then closer to home, let's move on to somewhere else. Um, this is really in your your sort of historic field of expertise, Robert. So we'll, we'll go with you. Um, what, what's happening over in the battery market in, in the UK. There's lots of headlines going on there. Yeah, we've had quite a lot of news actually in the last sort of six or so months. We've had, you know, the UK British Volt battery company sort of not managing to progress and collapsing. We've had on the plus side, Tata Motors sort of negotiating with the government to put a gigafactory here. We've had Stellantis who um, own the Fiat and Peugeot brands, for example, saying, well, new origination rules mean that they're worried about setting up um, battery factories in the UK. So what you're seeing is this wholesale move to electric vehicles. But the key part of any electric vehicle is the battery. So where the battery production takes place is crucial on a sort of multi-decade view. And the UK needs to step up, is what these car companies are saying. Otherwise, all the battery production goes into continental Europe mm. and the car manufacturing will inevitably follow. And we've seen BMW already, you know, plant the mini, the mini electric convertible mm. into Germany out of Oxford. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worry from an industrial strategy perspective. Okay, well, let's hope we get a resolution that favours the UK at some stage. Um, well, Isabel, it's that time of the uh, the podcast episode. Uh, it's your turn to provide us with a stat, so let's see what you got. Okay, great. So my stat is 0.1%. So you want us to yes. guess Can what that 0.1% is? Is it the amount of land? that will be flooded as a result of the greenhouse effect by about 2030 if we don't do anything. 
Oh, I don't know, but was, <laughs> that's not the one I was thinking of. <laughs> that was a nice long answer that gave me time to think, and yet I, I still haven't got anything. So I'm going to say, is it the percentage of questions such as these that I'm going to get correct? Oh, you're being far too modest, Tom. Um, no, what it is, it's the percentage of China's population that are from overseas. So it's, it's really, really low. If you compare it to the US, that's closer to 15%. Okay. And I think the reason why this is relevant is because China has an aging workforce. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they're going to sustain their growth rate, they're going to have to think about ways of um, of increasing that workforce. One option is migration. But, you know, when you've got um, a migrant a population that is so small, you know, is that going to be possible? So I think that's one to watch. Interesting. Well, uh, thanks very much for that. And thank you to you both for your time. Always fascinating to talk. And uh, look forward to doing it again next month. Thank, thank you. Thank you.